Welcome to Health Tech Hustle. We exist to share stories of the brave entrepreneurs helping to solve the most important problems in digital health today. We interview top leaders in health tech and bring them onto our show each week to listen and learn from their story. With your host, Rodney Hu, founder of 209 Digital. Hello and welcome to another episode of Health Tech Hustle Podcast. Today I'm joined by another awesome guest, Mr. Wale Akande. He is an engineer and an entrepreneur. He's also the co-founder and chief technology officer of a company called City Health Tech. So I'm excited to have him on today and kind of pick his brain and allow him to share his story and what they're doing in the industry. So with that being said, Wale, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rodney. It's so great to connect with you. And I'm super excited to, you know, engage with our listeners to see um, how far we've come with our path at City Health Tech. No problem. So, yeah, why don't we just jump into it? Why don't you give a brief background of who you are and kind of how you got into um, the health tech industry and what you're currently doing? Yeah, certainly. So, um, um, I'm originally from Nigeria. I actually moved to the U.S. about eight years ago to pursue my degree in engineering management and electronics engineering from the Illinois Institute of Technology. So um, while I was there, um, I specialized in a lot of like electrical engineering and I did a few internships, right? So after my time there, I actually launched my full-time career with WPG Americas in the semiconductor distribution world. It was actually while I was there, I sort of found my, um, rediscovered my passion for entrepreneurship, right? I tell people I'm a second generation entrepreneur because my family in Nigeria owns a company. I've worked with them for a long time. But when I got into the semiconductor industry, I started seeing entrepreneurship from a different way, right? Mm -hmm. I'm passionate about solving problems. Right. I now have this electronic engineering background, as well as all of the recent like releases of new electronic products. And I can actually put those two things together to create new um, new products. And that's around the time I met Ibrahim, who is my co-founder. And Ibrahim um, walked up to me one day at a conference. Right. He was I think he was a sophomore then at Northwestern. And he told me 95 percent of people do not wash their hands properly. Right. Um, you know, I'm like this hot shot kid. I just graduated from college and I'm thinking, what does this kid want now? And he tells me, oh, 80% of diseases are spread to touch. And the correct way to wash your hand is for at least 20 seconds, which is the equivalent of singing the happy birthday song twice. Right. I'm from Nigeria. I had never heard that before. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I consider myself a power hand washer. So that day I went home. And I picked my phone out and I timed myself, washed my hands, ended up being only 12 seconds. And I washed my hand for 20 seconds and I realized, damn, that was a long ass time, right? Yeah. So I'm thinking to myself like, okay, I have to hit this kid up because we might be onto something here, right? So I call him and I'm like, hey, I'm going to come by Northwestern. I'm going to see what your team is working on and let's see how we can go. This was about two and a half years ago. And since then, the rest has been history. So we've been working on it for the last two and a half years. Awesome. Awesome. And so now it's crazy that this whole idea started based off of a friend telling you you're not washing your hands properly and then just bringing awareness to sanitation and how diseases are spreading. And from there, you guys were able to identify like, wow, this is actually a serious 
topic of discussion. Like, let's see yeah. how we can further take this and turn this into something. And so mm-hmm. fast forward to where you guys are now. And I'm looking at your website. There's a lot of awesome things, but I kind of want to talk about this Opal device that you guys have and what exactly is that and how is that helping? Yeah, certainly. So, so our first device, so like um, City Health Tech, we tell everyone, and if you see on our website, we tell you that like we are committed to the eradication of preventable diseases by promoting healthy hygiene, right? Mm-hmm. That's our big goal. Our first product, right, is Opal. And what exactly is Opal, you might ask? So Opal is actually like a small connected device that sits right beside your faucet. It detects once a user puts their hand in the washing hand basin or like under the faucet, and it actually educates you on how to wash your hands properly, which means the right technique, and it engages you to wash your hands for at least 20 seconds. So it is two-pronged, right? The first thing it does is that it actually shows you, hey, wash around your thumbs, wash your fingertips and all of that. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is that like it actually engages you. So everyone thinks of hand washing as a passive activity, right? Mm-hmm. I just finish using the bathroom. I want to wash my hand. I do the next thing, right? What OPPO does is it makes it an active participation, right? It holds your attention for long enough to make sure you actually reach that 20-second mark and also make sure you're using the right technique. Okay, so it's like engaging and educating you. Exactly. <laughs> keeping your attention while you're trying to wash your hands hands and sanitize. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting. And so with your background in engineering and being the chief technology officer and and co-founder of the company, what are your day-to-day responsibilities? What's your job role? Yeah. Okay. So, so my job role is interesting because I think it has shifted over time. Right. So initially when we started out, I used to go by Northwestern, on the weekends to work with our small team, right? So we're in an incubator called the Garage in Northwestern. And I'd go there and I'd go check out our 3D prints. I'll make sure like we're drawing out and mapping out what our electronic connection should look like, talking to suppliers, making sure we can get, you know, prototypes in-house that we can test. That's what my task was, right? So a lot of that was putting all of those technologies together. But we sort of grown, right? We've gone from, okay, we want to, we are a group of people in a garage, literally <laughs> uh, working on an idea. We've, my role has sort of scaled, right? Mm-hmm. So now I'm doing a lot of, okay, I have a design right now, but what do I need to meet to make sure we make this a viable opportunity? So anyone to understand the balance breakthrough model of innovation, right, is um, you have the feasibility, you have the desirability, you have the viability, right? We have proven that we can build this, right? Anyone can go online, search City Health Tech, and you can find demo of our device, right? We know we can build the technology. So what we, I am focused on in my day-to-day task right now is desirability. How many people want it? And how do they want it? So a lot of what I do in my day-to-day task is just connecting with a lot of um, elementary schools who are going to be our first target customers, talking to people in the food industry to say, hey, like we have this cool thing that we built that does anyone want to do that to see how many people want our device. And the last thing is viability. How can we turn this to a viable business person, um, like, you know, product, right? So that, what does that look like for me? That's a lot of meetings with, you know, contract manufacturers, 
figuring out, okay, this is where my costs need to be. This is what my bomb cost needs to be. This is what I need to do. These are the strategic partnerships I have to make to make sure once we start going into production, we're always going to meet the expectations that the customers that we're going to have have of us. So that's what a lot of my um, tasks are right now. So like the other 50% of what I do is just we have a team, right? So we have an engineering team. I meet with them. I, like we're all remote right now, so we can't work together, but I try to have like work meeting sessions and we are basically refining our design and working on our next product. So 50% of my time is how can we turn our current product into like, you know, something that makes money. And then the second half is, okay, working with my team to, okay, what do we want to work on next? And what might we have missed in the building of our first device? Okay, interesting. And so before you actually, so you have the concept and the idea of what you want to bring to the market, but before you actually go and put that out to the public, you're building these relationships and having these conversations to try to get like strategic partnerships to already build up that demand for your product so that when you start building it, the supply is already, the demand is already there for your supply. Is that what I'm getting? Exactly. Awesome. Exactly. So just making sure like, you know, we're talking to the customers that need this product. We're also talking to the suppliers. So by the time you like everything clicks, right? So we have like a weird bridge that makes that happen, right? So we have our design, we have our suppliers all primed and ready to go. We have our, um, our customers are primed and ready to go, and then we'll make sure we deliver them our awesome product. Okay. So essentially, you're almost selling the idea and selling the product before you're even finished with it. Exactly. Okay. So we are, so from, a, from an engineering standpoint, right, we have what most people call like an MVP or a minimum viable product or a minimum viable prototype, right? So you can see a video of us like having all of this going. But as we are looking to raise funding, right? So that's something. So we've been bootstrapping for the last three years, right? Mm -hmm. So now we're looking to raise funding. And for us to make sure we do that effectively, we're actually trying to close as many deals as possible with our possible customers. We already have a lot of our supplier relationships set. And now we're looking to take that next step to say, okay, let's raise money. Let's deliver these devices and let's scale to become like a full-run, like fully well-run company. Okay. And so you kind of mentioned it when you're speaking briefly that you're talking to schools and universities. What other sort of suppliers and partnerships and conversations, um, what kind of people are you talking with? Oh, we've had some really interesting conversations, right? So like I said, we've been working on this for two years. And initially, when we started working on it, a lot of people used to look at us like, what are you guys doing? Like, it's a great idea, but do people really care? Right. With the pandemic, a lot of that has changed. So we're getting a ton of inbound. We're having so we've got a message once from like a food and safety manager at McDonald's. Right. That said, like, yo, like I've been obsessing over hand washing for like the entirety of my career. And you guys have a brilliant idea. And we think that like this is something that could work for us. Right. Mm -hmm. Just based on a lot of, you know, the press that we're getting with the idea that we had. And this was almost two years down the line, right? So we're getting conversations from, you know, office spaces, co-working spaces that say like, hey, this would be good. Like this would be a way to signal community safety for our teams as they look back to move in. If they do decide to move in, we want to make sure that they know that we care about them. And then we are trying to enable them to have the best possible, like, you know, hygiene within our space. So we've had like interest from 
you know, um, corporate offices. We've had interest from restaurants, you know, so that's McDonald's. We've had like Subway franchises reach out to us. We've had, I think, a law firm also reached out to us. So we've had a ton of inbound for people that actually want this device. Nice. So you've had a lot of inbound. And so do you think that's probably the most effective way for you guys to grow at this point versus going outbound and just trying to reach as many people? Because it sounds like what you guys are focusing on is just having the quality product that solves an issue and just people are already passionate about it. And so that's how they're finding out about you. They're reaching out to you. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I think it's two prong, right? So when you look at the nature of what we're looking to solve, this is a this is like a problem that affects every single person, right? So if I want to tell you right now that you need to wash your hands for twenty seconds, and you actually believe in that, you can decide I'm going to take some money, I'm going to buy the Oppo, I'm going to put it in my house and wash my hands properly, right? So, but what we need to do, right? And I think this is where the conversation about viability comes in, right? Is that how can you build a sustainably or a sustainable business process around that? Right? And for us, that is going to be initially focusing on who can pay for it right now, who does it really matter to, and then we can use that to determine where we want to go from here. Right? And for us, that is, okay, we know that schools desperately need it. Right? We know people in the restaurant industry will need it. Right? We know people that have essential staff within food manufacturing, FDA food-regulated facilities, they will need it, right? And that's sort of what we're focused on, mm-hmm. right? But going forward, right, we can then create a more commercially viable, like, product that we're like, hey, we can make a million of these and we can sell them via an online store. We can sell it on Amazon. But right now, we're actually focused on these um, niche markets that are needed right now so we can build a viable business model around that. Uh, okay. Okay, and so you said one of your main goals right now is about is trying to raise funding and so the way you guys are doing that is trying to get as many clients as you can or form as many partnerships as you guys mm-hmm. can and that's all through inbound and so when you're trying to raise the funding i'm assuming you have to apply outbound methods and so yeah. how are you guys going to go about that and just how are you would are you guys going to try to facilitate those conversations yeah, so like for us, right, we've done it in two ways. So actually, I'll say three ways. The interesting thing is that like we've we've got some inbounds for investors, right? So we've had people that have seen it and they're like, oh, we think this would be something that would be interesting. Let's have a conversation with you. That's the first way, right? The second way is that our network. So for the last eight years that I've been in America and my co-founder, Ibrahim, too, right? We've been curating our networks over time, whether that's through LinkedIn, whether that's through our, like, you know, alumni networks, whether that's through our education. We've been curating our network because we always believe that at a certain point in time, we're going to need certain kinds of people to get to where we need to be. Right. So the second way we've been at is actually just introductions. Right. So you had someone that was your mentor or someone that you met at like an event, you know, four years ago. You've kept in touch with them. You know, they're an entrepreneur. You know, they do investing. You just keep talking with them. And after a while, you finally get your idea to a good place. You reach out like, hey, Mr. A, like, you know, we've been talking about this. This is the idea I'm working about. I know you don't have a lot of experience with 
hardware, you mainly do software investing, but we have this hardware piece that we're looking at if you want to make introductions for us. And that's how we've got a lot of the initial conversations, right? So we have people in our network that we've curated over this amount of time, reaching out to people they know that might be interested in what we're doing, right? And then the last part of it, you know, being minority founders, you know, just being like a part of uh, like, like a community of people that is less visible within the startup space. What we've also tried to do is also do a few outbounds, right? So we, we go through like, okay, what are those people that understand what we're looking to do and believe in us as minorities and how can we reach out to them? And from that, we've been able to get a very phenomenal resources from like TechCrunch and all of that. And then we actually say, okay, who will be interested in what we're doing? And we're actually sending out our pitch deck saying like, hey, this is what we're looking for. This is how much we're looking to raise. How do we get there? What do we need to do to sort of meet the criteria to get funding from you? So we are doing it in three ways. Like I said, we have people that are coming to us. We have people we're getting through our network and we have the people that, you know, we found from like gleaning information from online sources. Okay, so yeah, a little mix of inbound, outbound, and then just your direct network. Yeah. And so kind of want to follow up on as far as leveraging your network. Because I know a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs, especially within the healthcare space, they, they already know a lot of people, whether it's technologists or healthcare professionals or um, a mentor, like you said. Yeah. But before actually reaching out and asking them for like their help and their advice, what sort of pieces need to be in place before you feel comfortable enough to do that? Hmm. So, so for, for me personally, right, I am, I'm an engineer, right, that fell in love with, not fell in love per se, but I just got this like burning passion to solve a problem within the healthcare space, right? So a lot of my experience is coming from technology and then applying on healthcare. But I think in the, in the last, in the last few last year, right? What has really, um, what has really like changed for me was that I was, I was laser focused on the product that we wanted to build. I wanted to make sure like the product was, was like feasible enough to solve the problem we're talking about, because this is the one thing I'll tell you. A lot of industries, right, can get away with anecdotal evidence. They were like, oh, if you wear this, you work out more, you do all of these things, right? A lot of people can get away with that. But once you get into healthcare, right, we realized we needed to do just a little bit more, right? Because we're going to be talking about how we want to impact people's lives, how we want to impact, like, the community as a whole. And for that, right, we needed to make sure our product met every single layer of what we're talking about right so we made sure we validated the, the problem after we validated the problem we got statistics that validated that problem we made sure we were able to come up with a solution that we believe will effectively solve that problem by the time you get to that point where you have a solution and possibly a product right that's a great time to start having those conversations so by like so for us, we didn't just say like, oh, we have an idea, we think it's a good idea, and we're just gonna start hitting everyone up to make sure everything happens, right? We went through that process of really understanding our problem. Because when you go into a conversation with people in your network, people outside of your network, right, you want to make sure you've thought about the things mm -hmm. they ask you about. 
right? Yeah. So you go, when I go into a conversation and someone tells me like, oh, can't you just integrate it into the faucet? I want to have thought of that, uh-huh. right? Why are you using cellular technology versus Wi-Fi technology? You want to have thought of that, right? Because that way you create a little bit more um, viability in your ability to actually get the job done. Because if you go in with an idea that is a little half-baked or you don't really understand the problem or you don't really understand the solution that you're putting forth, then you will struggle with having like, you know, that respect as an entrepreneur. And I think that's where we were really able to get to a good place. You know, we found our problem and spent an immense amount of time. You know, I've read every study. Every device out there that's done anything within the hand hygiene space, we know it. We know the entire thing back to front because for three years, we've obsessed about making sure it's good. And that's why, like, you know, when someone has a conversation with us, they can tell, like, okay, we know the passion is there. We know you both have the ability to get this done. That's why we want to make an introduction. Uh, okay, so just doing that little bit of due diligence and research mm-hmm. and, uh, and just to be able to dot your I's and cross your T's and just think of any questions and objections that may arise throughout the conversation and just putting that little bit of time and effort in the beginning to have that data and have that info ready when those conversations need to be had. That is what's kind of sending, pushing you guys over the edge, really, giving yes. you guys that little extra um, Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so you've kind of explained throughout this whole conversation, um, just kind of your transformation and your guys' processes and how you guys are going about doing things and just how you guys have been able to grow from having you develop the prototypes and talking to suppliers and all that to now having a team, which allows you to free up more of your time so you can do more higher level tasks within your business. Um, but we yeah. all know that there's a lot of obstacles and challenges that you face in this whole entrepreneurship journey. So my next question for you is what sort of obstacles or challenges have you faced in your, in your journey with this company that stick out to you and how have you been able to overcome that? Yeah. Okay. So I think, I think I, I personally, I'm in a really unique position, right? I think um, uh, maybe or maybe not a lot of people you talk to are American. Right. So I am not American. So I'm Nigerian and I've been in the U.S. on a student visa. Right. So during my time, so I graduated from college and I had the opportunity to work full time and also start working on this idea. And I think the biggest challenge I faced is just I think it's just it's, it is really difficult. Right. To sort of um, build your own venture as an international student right so this is unlike you know having a ton of money in the bank or coming from a wealthy family or having all of these like things already done for you right so when you talk about bootstrapping you have to bootstrap to the extreme right so like i had to work a full-time job (laughs) for so many years to even be able to survive while i work on this idea okay right so I worked full time and I worked on this. And even after working full time, you have to go through these struggles of, okay, what's the right visa to get? And then the visa process is a lottery. You don't get that visa, right? You start asking yourself, can I actually work on this idea? I've already put in like, you know, two, two and a half years of my life into this. Is this something that is worth doing, right? And just, just doing that 
takes a lot of mental toll. So this is being an entrepreneur already comes with a lot of like fear, right? You don't know where the next thing is going to come from. You don't know where the next thing is going to get signed. And then this is another layer on top of that, right? You're wondering about like, oh, am I going to do something wrong? Am I going to break the law? Are people going to invest in my company? Would they think that like, you know, me being international is too high risk, right? And that's the first part of it. And then the second part of it is also just being black. So I'm not just like international, I'm a black international student, right? Yeah. So you go into every conversation thinking that like you need to push that extra mile. You have to go that extra mile. And even when you get that extra mile, you know, on the other end, I'm not saying that like, do I then need to convince them that like I actually can't work on what I'm doing? Because for me, right, I didn't get the visas that allow me to be able to work on the project. So I made the decision to go back to school. Mm. Right. So I went back to school just so I have a chance to be able to stay in the U.S. to work on my idea. But then some people might look at it like, oh, but you're getting like a second degree. Why didn't you put the money in? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I would have put the money in, but I won't be able to stay here to work on the idea. So it's just like it's not even like a chicken and the egg. It's like. A live chicken, fried chicken, right? Like I can't get any, you know, like there's no, one doesn't come before the other. Like one is either moot completely <laughs> or you're in. So like for me, it's been ridiculously difficult because I'm then thinking like, okay, we, do I have to forego my company for it to become something, right? And that's just this constant struggle for me that like I've had to deal with. Uh, man, that's an interesting perspective. Honestly, I've had one guest who's kind of given me like a similar answer to that, just about her being um, an international entrepreneur as well and being a female. Um, But just like hearing your perspective and on how you were trying to be an entrepreneur in the States and just trying to stay in the States so you can still pursue your passion and your dream and like the different sacrifices that you had to make. That's very interesting to hear. It's It's a very humbling perspective, honestly. Thank you. But we have one more question before we um, finish up with the exercise I like to call rapid fire round. But before we get to that, what sort of advice would you have for other entrepreneurs in the healthcare industry? Uh, so this is something that like I, I, I am using as like the my mantra, right? And my mantra is prevention is always better than cure. Every single day of the week every single time. I believe that like, if you want to get into the healthcare industry, rather than thinking of ways you're fixing problems, you start thinking of ways to prevent those problems. I think a lot of invention, a lot of money, a lot of funding has gone to people that see us, we have a cure, we have a solution to something, but enough is not being done to improve the prevention right? Of whether that's diseases, whether that's, you know, problems that you might encounter within the healthcare space. And I think like, you know, more should be done to that regard. So if you're someone thinking of, um, of getting into like healthcare entrepreneurship, start thinking to yourself, start asking yourself, right? What can I do that'll prevent, you know, a, a huge cost to be paid, right? By one person. So if you can, get 1 million people to pay a dollar, right? To prevent something from happening is better than having one person, you know, pay $1 million to cure it, 
And that's what I want people to start thinking about. If you're thinking about getting into healthcare, what can you do to help prevention? What can you do to help prevention? What can you do to help prevention? Because at every point in time, it's going to be cheaper to implement that than it is to make a cure. Uh, okay. Awesome. I think that's a great way to end the meat section of our interview. Um, I feel like you've done a lot about talking about your journey and the different situations and the different obstacles that you've had to overcome. Um, so I think we should end on a little more lighter note with an exercise I like to call the rapid fire round. So I'm going to ask you a set of questions and then you just give me whatever answer you come up with. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite book of all time? The Alchemist, Paulo Coelho, best book ever. Uh, okay. Okay. Then who is the most influential person in your, in your life or career? Uh, I, I would say, I would say, uh, it can be one person, but my parents, Okay. my parents. Yeah. Entrepreneurs before you. <laughs> yep. Exactly. My mom is an artist. My dad's an engineer and I got the best of both worlds. Nice. Shout out to your parents. Yeah. Um, what is one goal you want to accomplish this year? I think the one goal I want to accomplish this year is that I want to have a thousand of my products fully manufactured and deployed to users. Okay. Okay. And then last one, what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20 year old self? Ooh, if I were to give my 20 year old self an advice, I'll tell him, do it. You know, just, you, you know, that idea you're thinking of, you know, that thing you were working on, do it, do it, put in the time, spend all the effort because I, this isn't the first startup I'd worked for, or I'd worked on. I'd worked on several other ideas, but I always limited myself with like my perspective as an international student. So I always ended up like chickening out when push came to shove. So the advice I tell myself is that, you know, the idea you're working on, work on it, meet people, pitch it, do every single thing to make it work because there's no better time than now to do something. Awesome. And I think that's the epitome of what now tech hustle really is, right? Yeah. Exactly. So that kind of ends today's episode. Wally, I just want to thank you for jumping on and just sharing your journey as, like you said, an international student trying to create his own venture and just sharing the obstacles and really just the journey that you had to go to go through in order to get to where you are today. And um, I know it's very valuable. If I can learn something, I know many other entrepreneurs within this sector and maybe even other sectors as well can find value from this. So yeah, just want to say thank you for jumping on. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. And last but not least, before you go, where could people learn more about you and um, your company? Yeah, certainly. You can check us out on our website. It is cityhealthtech.com. That is C-I-T-Y-H-E-A-L-T-H-T-E-C-H.com. So check us out. You can also reach us, um, reach out to us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, all at City Health Tech, just at City Health Tech. Awesome. And I'll be sure to include all those resources in the links below, or all those links in the resources section. Um, but with that being said, that ends today's episode. Catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Health Tech Hustle with Rodney Hu, founder of 209 Digital. Tune in next week for another interview with an expert leader in digital health.